Welcome to the Survival Podcast, episode 2882. It is Memorial Day, uh, May 31st, 2021. And uh, I'm going to be uh, brief with my introduction today. I'm going to go straight kind of into the subject. We're not going to have uh, your typical housekeeping uh, in the beginning of this because I am getting this ready so I can actually be off for uh, Memorial Day. Uh, first, just I want to say a little bit about this day. I, I talked about it on Thursday last week. Uh, but this is, I think it's really important that on this day, if you're listening to the podcast on the day it came out anyway, that I, I don't believe, as some people do, that Memorial Day should become a day of mourning, where we should all be sad and uh, think about those that gave their lives uh, in service to our nation. I, I do think we should stop and think about that's what this is about for a moment, for at least a moment. That we should think about the fact this is not like Veterans Day. This is not a day you go up and tell people thank you for your service. This day is not for people who served and came home. It's for people that served and did not come home, at least not alive. They came home in a flag-draped casket. Many of them did not come home at all. They lie in a grave somewhere on foreign soil, or they were lost and never found and never recovered. Um, that's what this day is really all about. But I'll tell you why I don't think on a day like this we should sit around mourning wrapped in sackcloth or something. The people that gave their lives in service of our nation did not do so with the hope that we would sit around and mope. They did so with the hope that we would understand the gift that is liberty and that we would rejoice in it. And I think the greatest thing we can do to honor the fallen is to gather with our family and our friends and our loved ones, to be joyous as we do so, and to celebrate life in honor and respect for those who can no longer do so themselves. So that's what today's about. Now, what else is today about? Today is about a cryptocurrency called Hush. It is a privacy coin. It is a really, really interesting project with some things beyond just the currency itself, including completely and totally encrypted messaging. Um, we are about to have our special guest come on. Uh, his name is Duke Leto. I do want to preface some of what you're about to hear with a little bit of um, a little bit of temperance. So Duke actually worked on the Pirate Chain project, and there is some bad blood apparently between the Pirate Chain people and at least Duke, if not all the Hush people. I don't. I don't get in the middle of squabbles like this. There is some points where there is some criticism that's probably valid, and it's less criticism but more here's what we do right or here's what we do better. There's also some stuff in this that's more personal, and I let it go as much as I could. And there's a point where I say, look, I only let people like go so far like this when I have relationships on both sides, and the other side's not here to respond. right? So, so take anything in that vein with a grain of salt And what I think you really have here is someone who thought, hey, there's some things that could be done better and went and did them. And instead of that just being kind of like a mutual parting of the ways, um, there, ha there was some bad blood because of it. 
on, on maybe both sides. I don't know, right? Like, I have never heard anybody from Pirate say anything negative about anything to do with Hush at all. You will hear some go the other way here, and I don't think that either of these projects need the other one to make a case for what it is, and that's why I've... Uh, I, I've had them on, uh, and uh, well, I'm going to air the interview unedited. There's a little bit of editing, but it's more some technical problem editing than it is like I have not taken out a thing that Duke had to say. You're welcome to sort these things out for yourself. I will tell you there's one point. I didn't bother pushing by that point because we'd gotten to where some of that was going. And most of the interview is not this, by the way. I'm just, I'm just prefacing the few things like this that come up where he said, like, the code's all tumbleweeds. They haven't updated anything. I know that's wrong. Okay, that's just not true. I, I don't think he. Do, I don't think he. Uh, he thinks he's he's inaccurate. I don't think he believes himself to be lying there. But I know it's not true because I know things that have been done to update the code quite recently. Uh, specifically, what's been done. I won't get into it, but like, so I'm just saying that a person can believe themselves to be right and be wrong. And I, I would say that the that what you should look for out of this interview is learning about a new. And another really cool, really interesting privacy coin. And I think that what will make or break Hush isn't the technology behind it. I think the technology behind it is fantastic. It will be whether or not it gains adoption by enough people to make it fly. And uh, so hopefully this will be a good first step for you guys to learn more. And I have a ton of resources, and I think that... Even if there's some things that you don't like about what Duke says today, I think he's the kind of guy you can learn a ton of shit from. So I have a bunch of his previous interviews. I have some of his presentations and things like that in the show notes. And I have some other resources that he gives out during this that are built into today's show notes. Also, there is a, um, there's a bit of uh, noise and distortion at the beginning of this interview. Just a couple minutes in, we get it worked out and it goes away, though. So uh, it's really not anything critical during the part where that's going on. So if, if you hear that initially and it kind of turns you off, don't let it. It will go away when we get into the first like, real question of what is Hush. And with that, um, you know, air cleared before we go in. Uh, hey, Duke, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Howdy, it's Duke Ludo here. How you doing, dude? I, I am really glad to have you on. I was excited when I got your application to be on because you're talking about two things that I love, cryptocurrency and privacy. Like Those are two really important things to me and my community. Before we dig into that, though, and what Hush is and what Hush is all about, can you tell us who is Duke and kind of what's your background? Like, basically, you're spacing out in school trying to figure out what to do with your life, and how do you end up working in cryptography and, and, and programming and, and privacy and all that. How do you get here from there? How do you get to be born from then working on a privacy point is basically what you're asking. I'll try my best. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am, I would say I'm a mathematician kind of that was in academia and was not enthused about my job options basically to, if you're a professional mathematician, you're you're basically you can go work for the military, like doing military stuff, or you can maybe be like a teacher at the community college. But there's not a lot of other jobs. There's a few, but very few. So yeah, I was a mathematician. I have like research papers in that. So um, I guess you could say I have a really long history in math, and I was 
the nerdy math kid, you know, way before Bitcoin ever existed. And then when I learned about Bitcoin, it was like it just locked together all these different skills that I had already through kind of Linux and math and, and hardware, you know, putting together weird bits of hardware to do things. So, yeah, I would say, you know, who else am I? I've been contributing to open source and free software for a super long time, so a lot of people know me through other weird communities. Like, I have code inside of Firefox, uh, inside of Git, the thing that GitHub is made of. Uh, I have code inside of Bitcoin and, and other, lots of weird software that no one's ever heard of because it's, like, down in the, in the boiler room of the Internet. But um, in the Perl world, I have, you know, big contributed to Perl and all kinds of stuff, fixed bugs in the Perls, debugger, even though that is. So, yeah, like I came to privacy points just by my love of privacy and then wanting Bitcoin to have some privacy. I mean, I call Bitcoin a surveillance point. Bitcoin is the, you know, wet dream of, of a government that wants to keep track of me. You know, people thought it was this anonymous thing and <laughs> it really isn't and uh so the the bleeding edge of crypto coin research in my opinion is privacy coins and so i just fell into it i, I started working on touch four years ago almost exactly one of the things i really liked i listened to some of your other interviews and other presentations and you've been able to say some things about things that people think are very democratic, very private, very uh, open source that really aren't. And, and one of those reasons was basically you told everybody who ever asked you to sign a non-disclosure agreement when you were working on projects to go screw. Yeah. And, and they actually did go screw, or at least yeah. they still hired you without the NDA, which was crazy to me. But I think VMware. that's... VMware hired me without an NDA, and they just, like, they had to have me managing their GitHub. I was like... I was, like, hot. Like, when VMware hired me, yeah. like, lots of companies wanted to hire me, and they were, like, fighting over me. So, literally, it was, like, I told them the number. Like, it was just fucking ridiculous. And then, But then it was also very toxic, horrible Silicon Valley. Like, they were, it, the first day on the job, they're, like, here's all the illegal shit that we're going to ask you to do. Uh. Our team of lawyers <laughs> need you to lie about this and delete that so they don't find that there. And it's, like... Whoa, like I'm inside <laughs> the Death Star now. <laughs> so yeah, totally. I, and, and, you know, if I signed all kinds of agreements with them, uh, non-disparagement agreements and non-disclosure and all that shit, I could not speak about this stuff or they would have bajillion dollar lawyers after. Sure. So sure. I have freedom of speech because I turned down, I mean, I still remember it. They offered me 14 grand in 2000 and, 10 or something like before like maybe the you know like before maybe it was like yeah around 2012 maybe like they offered me fourteen thousand dollars for a non-disparagement agreement which is just to not say anything bad about it. Yeah. i turned down 14 grand so that i for the rest of my life can say whatever the fuck i want about vm because they even had a thing about even my children could say couldn't say anything yeah i uh i i've had NDAs and things like that uh, it, back in my days in, in sales and sales engineering where it was like 
the way I read this, it says if I take a crap in the middle of the night, it looks like Pablo Picasso. You own it. And no, yeah. no, I'm not doing it. You know, and well, then you don't want to work here. Well, then you don't want me to work here. And then all of a sudden, I guess you did want me to work here like that. Yeah. It's a bargaining chip. Yeah. You yes. Understand. Yeah. And I was always with engineering stuff and all like if it's proprietary information about your technology. okay, sure. And if you want to give me a specific thing that says I can't do what I'm already not supposed to do, fine. But when you want to start owning my thoughts and my 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 knowledge of all things, including shit you did that you're not supposed to. No. Absolutely not. To like fill out forms to my boss, who would not, you know, it'd be like unheard of to even give the boss the forms. But like the official process was like, oh, if you want to work on something on the weekend when you're not working, law, there is no such thing. You know, you have to fill out this form to your boss and to ask to work on, submit a pass to an open source project. And I was like, no, that's 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 not happening. So let's yeah, yeah, I've got code like. Probably on any kind of servers or browsers you have, probably some little bit of code that I've written. Some very cool. Well, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have those uh, those resources that were sent to me in the show notes, so people can check out those interviews. And I'll specifically note that one because I thought that was fascinating. Let's dig into what we're here to talk about today, though, which is hush. So on that note, let's go ahead and dig into this to- this this topic a little more deeply. What what exactly is hush um, as a technology? What is it? It is a fork of Bitcoin source code, which is also a fork of the Zcash source code and then has a lot of ideas from other privacy coins. And it's basically taking Bitcoin as a starting point and then optimizing always for privacy. Like If there is a choice, a fork in the road and you have to either make something easier, make it more private, like we go the more private route. So in our whole history, uh, history, Hush has been around since November 2016 is when we mined our Genesis block uh, within a few months of Zcash starting. So Hush is also one of the first privacy coins. And, you know, a lot more have come into existence recently in the last few years. But, um, yeah, we're, we've been around doing a lot of things, trying a lot of things. So, yeah, and it's a free software project as well, which I think is another thing to just point out to people. We're not a company. There's no foundation. We think that any crypto coin that has a company or even foundation has a lot of problems, uh, especially for a privacy coin. So we are a decentralized cypherpunk community that uses GPL v3 software, which is, you know, hippies basically. (laughs) <laughs> Free as in speech, not in as in beer. Got you. So um, you have a lot of ways that you're similar to Bitcoin. Um, you basically are Satoshi's code at the core. Same supply, twenty one million, yes. right? One million. Um, See that, and it, and it gets even better. Even the same emission schedule of having every four years. Okay. See, a lot of coins inflate their supply. Or make it infinite like Dogecoin, and it's just there is no supply. It's a joke, you know. Yeah. But a lot of coins just inflate their supply. Let's say have a billion coins, and that just makes your market cap look really big, even if you're like two Satoshis in value. You know, it's a marketing gimmick. So uh, Satoshi chose the numbers 21 million and that other stuff for very particular reasons. Actually, like there's it wasn't just random numbers he pulled out of his ass. He or yeah. she. I'd say um, there's no evidence that Bitcoin was male, female, or there's probably potentially a group, a small group of people. But yeah, uh, so we kept those things. There's no reason to change them. It, it's a marketing gimmick. 
And uh, so, yeah, 21 million, having every four years, mining, you know, proof of work, 100% proof of work. We don't believe in proof of stake at all. We're, we're quite anti-proof of stake, which some people love, you know, more power to them. Uh, but for privacy, proof of stake is not a privacy technology. So, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would also point out, I don't know if you've ever, I know you're a math guy, right? But if you if you look yes. at the 21 million total supply of Bitcoin, Mm-hmm. And you look at individual Satoshis, and, and there was a lot of hubbub made many, many years ago about, we reached dollar parity. Yeah. If you had a Satoshi... I remember that day. <laughs> right? If, if you actually had a dollar be a Satoshi, the price of Bitcoin would be exactly $1 million. Yep. And I've always found that to just be, you know, like one of those things, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen, but it just seems like... That's an odd thing to happen by accident, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's a cool revelation, I think, too. I mean, I don't want to like, – everyone has their kind of theory of why he, you know, Satoshi chose $21 million. Yeah. And I like your idea. Actually, I like the way you just explained it. Like, <laughs> that surely didn't hurt, I'll say, right? Yeah. But I'll tell you, um, as a mathematician, it's really kind of boring a little bit, but it's kind of like – the way the programming language lets you write the code that Satoshi was writing in, he or she figured out the numbers that like re- made the error the least for a lot of things and made things the fastest. So it was like 21 million and 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin. Those numbers are are related to C++ data type sizes, which mm. if your eyes start bleeding that that's good you know that's reasonable but uh some people will know what that means and it's really like an artifact it's actually mathematics it's called error analysis you know satoshi was definitely a professional mathematician even more than a programmer and they were like a mathematician more than a software developer so let's talk we've kind of mentioned there's some very very similar things between hush and bitcoin Obviously, Hush is private, or we wouldn't be talking about privacy coins today. Um, how exactly is Hush different? Kind of walk us through how, let's say, a Hush transaction compares to a Bitcoin transaction. Sweet. All right. So how is – what's the main differences of Hush being different than Bitcoin? So there's this concept of shielded addresses or private addresses, you'll hear them called. And uh, they start with a Z, so you'll you'll often see people call them a Z address. So the Z stands for zero knowledge mathematics. And this is basically a super cool new field of math. It was just invented in 1985 um, and basically wasn't fast enough to run on computers until the last few years. So um, Zcash, which is a privacy coin that uh, Hush has uh, a lot of, their code, and it's a fork of Zcash code, it, it's uh, taking this new math that didn't even exist a few decades ago and making it so when you pay someone, it doesn't tell the world your address or the amount you paid them. It's like magic. So um, we have these shielded addresses, and we actually enforce their use. We say that you can't use the old kind anymore. That's in the past. So um, that's what we call Z to Z. Uh, Pirate also has that. Um, a few other coins, I think, may have 
started copying that because it's a really good idea. And, you know, basically there's no more optional privacy because optional privacy is no privacy. For example, Zcash has optional privacy. They spent the millions of dollars in research and to make this math work, you know, to make it fast and to make it run on the computer. But uh, they give it, it's optional for people to use it, and only 6% of Zcash uses privacy. So really, when you think about it, 94% non-privacy is basically no privacy. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on in the privacy coin world, I would say. <laughs> Spooky, you might say. Spooky stuff. Absolutely. And, I mean... I keep hearing about there's ways that you can have privacy with Bitcoin or you can, ways that you can have privacy with, you know, Litecoin or whatever. And I, Do you know what they're doing? They're adding zero-knowledge math. They're literally yeah. copying us, but in the tiniest way possible that is even more insignificant than Zcash not having it on by default. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with this. Like, first of all, you have to be sophisticated enough to know to use it. And then the other side has to be sophisticated enough to use it. And if you were going to do that, why don't you use something that just works anyway? So I, I, I liken this to, and I'm sure this analogy will make sense to you. It's low end, but should make a lot of sense. I get people all the time. I use Proton Mail. I use Proton Mail. And I'm like, that's great. That's great. Um, do the people you're emailing you, do the people you're emailing your information to use Proton Mail? No. Then it's, then it might as well not be. <laughs> right, the, uh, so, you know, it's it's like a marketing. You know, what is it? It's 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 a Swiss company, and you know that we all, you know, it's it's marketing. Like Proton Mail is it's it's at least not giving your data directly to Google, but that other than that, who knows? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. It's all a spectrum. You know, I like to say privacy is a spectrum, just like security is a spectrum. They're two different things. Privacy is a spectrum. And it's not just on and off. There's not just no privacy at all or, like, the best. There, you know, you have to find individual users in the world of complexity. They have to find where in that spectrum works for them of privacy. So um, I think that's something that your listeners, you know, should focus on. Not not feeling like, oh, man, I got to know more. But finding what level of privacy is appropriate f that they need, you know, because – Uh, you know, I have some jokes, but you know, if you think the NSA is after you, then you've already lost. Throw away all your computers and you know, go live in the woods. You know, they're, they're, nothing you do on the computer is gonna, <laughs> gonna fix that. <laughs> and yeah. you know, put in, put in your favorite three-letter, you know, agency or whatever. But uh, yeah, most people's threat models, it's is it called, is, is like their ex-girlfriend or their roommate. You know, like maybe you know the person down the street. So, yeah, I'm all for doing all that we can to get as much privacy as we can in everything that we do. I'm also totally anti the hyper confident government organization mindset that they actually have the ability to competently surveil everybody in a meaningful way all the time. Like, like it, well, they, it, it, they can't fill a pothole. Right, well, so that's why they're so interested in central bank digital currency. Sure, they want the surveillance properties of bitcoin but they you know imagine if every local bank and every federal bank and every everything had to use some you know uncle sam coin and everything could easily be tracked with blockchain analysis like that's a dream for them and i think they're trying to build that dream and uh, privacy coins are like a big wooden shoe and that 
and that whole system. So I don't even uh, think we have to imagine it. I think we just have to wait. I think that's an inevitable yeah, destination. It's already, right? it's already being built. I mean, every country in the world has been working on this for a few years. Only it's now like the Federal Reserve actually saying it out loud, like in the last few weeks. But it's it's been the writing's been on the wall other places for a long time. So yeah, I yeah. think your new narrative is about to be. There are good cryptocurrencies and bad <laughs> cryptocurrencies, right? So, like, for, yeah. for 11 years, I've, I've rolled my eyes to the point where I near transported myself to another dimension. Every time Bitcoin was used on some crime drama show that this is how they traffic people or something, you know. And, and But all of a sudden, Bitcoin and Ethereum and some other nice, nice ones, they're going to be the good cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And then we have the evil cryptocurrencies like Hush and Monero and, and Zcash and yeah, Dash and, and yeah. half of the ones they're going to call evil, they're not even privacy coins. Dash isn't a freaking privacy coin. Zcash isn't a freaking privacy coin. It, they're really not. I know. I agree with you. Obviously, as a dev, um, I agree with you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's Dash was like one of the, that's considered actually one of the, like maybe the first privacy coin. So it's kind of like it took the first step. But then, you know, crypto note coins, Monero is what are even older than Zcash based coins. And the thing is, Zcash doesn't make you use the privacy. Like, imagine. Exactly. Just imagine you spent, I think it was like a Silicon Valley investors put a few million dollars into the launching of Zcash. Like, they had all this publicity, like the New York Times, you know, like they had the, the silver platter of, you know, the pump and dump. And, and they did, like, in case anyone doesn't remember, Zcash was worth more than a Bitcoin before it launched. That's that's the mm. level of that's insane, uh, you know, fervor there was. But they don't even turn on the privacy. Like, first of all, when Zcash started, one private transaction, it literally took like a few minutes, like like maybe five minutes. It was laughable. It was like like a joke, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so. Hilariously, Pirate was was built on that first uh, iteration of Zadis. So Hush is so old. We did have that old version, and then we totally threw it away. It also had exploits and bad stuff happened on that first uh, version of Shielded Addresses. So Hush is kind of like a very old project, but we threw away the first version of the code base, and now already on the second blockchain, second Genesis block, and second code base. <laughs> So we we have the skills like and the experience, you know. Pirate is actually a much newer project that also I, I contributed a bunch to. They they use a bunch of my code, so it is kind of like one of my lost children, I would say. Gotcha. So how do you guys deal with like having network ride resistance to like metadata attacks? Because that's like something a lot of these things that claim privacy are, are actually pretty susceptible to. I, I, I'm so glad that you asked this. So I'm a super nerdy math guy. Like I, I love math way before Bitcoin existed. And so I just bring like my math brain to metadata leakage and really look at it like a math problem and kind of how to optimize it and how to make it the least in certain situations. So for instance, um, one example is Bitcoin, Zcash and Pirate. When they're talking on the network, they're actually just using plain text. They're not using the little lock. Like, you know, that little lock on your browser, like the HTTPS, or some people call it SSL. Um, that, that like, network 
layer encryption so that your ISP doesn't know what you're doing, it's not there. So, you know, all these promises that people are making to you that, you know, oh, there's no metadata at all, everything's untraceable and blah, blah, blah. That's a fucking lie, all right? Like, you know, there's an old saying that says, if someone needs your vote or needs your money, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. But if someone doesn't need need either, they're going to tell you the truth. So, you know, I'm not, I don't need your money or your vote. I'm going to tell you the truth. So there's all these attacks at the network layer, the IP address layer, the plain text layer that nodes are talking to. And, uh, you know, Hush is protected against that because I thought it was a problem and I did all the work to make Hush only talk with, like, the little lock. You know, I, I explained to people as the little lock in the browser, the, the difference between encrypted and not encrypted, that's what Hush is. Like, we actually did it. Like, we did it. Pirate didn't do it. Zcash didn't do it. Bitcoin doesn't do it. You know, all have their different reasons. Bitcoin's a surveillance coin, so it's kind of a waste for them, right? Zcash should have done it, and uh, they didn't. And Pirate just, you know, they didn't do it either. They're they're pirate, so uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> okay. No, I, 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 I kind of get what you're saying. I also would say that, like, pirate to me is an awful lot like Zcash with mandatory privacy. Um, or you call it, it a test coin with the marketing department. Okay. <laughs> so, and you're laughing, but that is what the actual Komodo developers that actually maintain pirate source code and network call it, okay? So I was there when Pirate was created. I asked the lead developer of Komodo, what would such and such mean? Like, if we change the code to be this, what would that do? And the next day, Pirate was born, okay? And it was that change, okay? Mm -hmm. So you can say that I helped create Pirate, all right? And I was there. Um, I was there when they changed their blockchain because they made their emission schedule too fast. And, like, two weeks into it, they just had everyone agree to change the emission schedule and, and mine a new blockchain. Like, <laughs> like, like I, I know all the details that most people don't want to talk about. Um, Pirate has good tech, I know, because they have hundreds of my commits and thousands of my thousands of lines of my code in it. So, But they like to say that it's like feature complete and like we're done and blah, blah, blah. And, and basically that's because they don't have a dedicated developer team. They have Komodo developers that ma maintain the source code for them. It, it's a, it's a runtime fork. And, and that's a weird terminology, but it basically just means that there's no different source code of pirate versus Komodo. Like the source code of Komodo is the source code of pirate. That's absolutely it's, factual. Yes. Yep. Yes, that is factual. And I know because I've written thousands of lines of code for both Komodo and Pirate. I, I was a Komodo core developer for, for about two years and helped run their network. And, you know, I, I helped design, you know, the privacy parts of Komodo and Pirate are are a lot of me, like maybe at least 50 percent. You know, so um, that community doesn't like me because I focus on Hush. I kind of like I was just like a contributor, an unpaid contributor, sure. you know. I didn't get paid to work on Pirate. And one day I was just like, I don't like it here, and I left. Like, And there's a lot of, you know, drama, whatever, nobody cares about. But, you know, I work on Hush, and then I put my best privacy ideas into Hush. And, you know, since Pirate's been launched, Hush has added maybe a dozen different privacy things, maybe more, like important things that – protect against attacks and things like that. 
But, you know, Pyro will tell you that they're feature complete and their code hasn't changed since since forever. You know, like there's, <laughs> there's it's a fucking tumbleweeds in there. And either I'm lying to you or you should go check it out and verify that for yourself as a listener. But I tell you that it's fucking tumbleweeds and there's no dev team. And, you know, they'll tell you the opposite, but that's because they they want you to buy their shit. All right. I'll, I'll only go so deep into that because I don't. Cut it. Yeah, just cut whatever's... In, in, no, 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 yeah, I'm not going to cut it. That's all going to stay. All I'm just saying is, like, the audience will totally hear that. We'll only go so far that way because there's not another side to respond. Like, I I, I try to stay somewhat Dude, half-assed awesome. diplomatic, right? I, I actually want to dig into, like, ZK Snarks and, like... Yeah, Zero-knowledge math. Like, I'm way more interested in talking about math than drama. Yeah, no, I, that's fine. What I, what I'm, what I want to go at, though, is, like, you guys are using that too. Some of these other projects so are using me, that. What are you doing differently me, with that technology? What what makes your application of that same technology great? What, what what's great about the way you're using that tech? So you're saying so how is Hush using ZK Snarks zero knowledge math differently? Differently, or I don't even care if it's different. Like, what are you doing with it that makes it badass? Like, how are you yeah. employing that tech? Versus, let's say the original source, Zcash, other than that, other than... I wrote a 15-page white paper that is accepted to the International Association for Cryptologic Research about it, bro. Okay. I'm, I'm, I've got you. Yeah, so yeah. it's called attackingzcash.com. Go ahead and... Okay, cool. No, that's going in the resources today. Okay, cool. Okay, so attackingzcash.com. I wrote a 15-page white paper about the math of why Hush is the best privacy coin, basically. And it's basically like... We actually don't change the zero-knowledge math and proofs uh, at the lowest level that we grab from Zcash world. We, like, optimize how we use it, and we enforce that we always use it, and we don't let anything that's not privacy happen. So we disable. Actually, disabling things is how you get a lot of privacy, you know? Disabling a, a, a normal Bitcoin transaction, which we would call transparent, so T to T, That's like doxing yourself, you know, like, and then there's another thing where if you go from a Z address to a T address, that's kind of like going from privacy away from privacy. That's like a form of doxing yourself. So, so we just don't allow that, you know, that's pirate has that as well. So going further, Hush has this whole concept of, let's say you wanted to talk to like three friends and send them a certain amount of money or a message Uh, every week or at a certain time interval with pirate the number of outputs the number of of people that are getting uh some kind of z funds it's like public data you can see exactly how many and basically that means that you stand out on the network as to oh look it's somebody talking to their three friends on tuesday at 4 p.m and uh you know hush has something called Siege, and it, it protects against that and a whole bunch of other attacks, but that is the simplest attack to understand, I would say, is that it takes away that public metadata of even how many people you're communicating with, okay? And so all of a sudden you go into this cloud of, well, all the time we make it so that there's a minimum amount of outputs, and so... Nobody knows if you're how many of those outputs you're using. How many people are you talking to in that instance? You can't say, 
Okay. So if I hear you correct, you're, what you're saying was pirate. You don't know who it is or how much it is, but you know there are so many people con yes. communicating. Where with Hush, you don't know that either. Correct. Okay. It's obscured. It's obscured. And I and that attackingzcash.com and that white paper goes into way you know obviously a huge amount of detail, and uh, it's it obscures that. And in doing that, it protects against all kinds of other weirder, harder to explain, you know, attacks that kind of experts can fight about and things like that. But uh, it's a new type of blockchain attack against Zcash protocol. And so I think your readers would find it interesting how it came to be. Very similar to the Bitcoin world, anonymous people will like drop into a chat room with some weird name. And they'll just like drop a whole bunch of info and then they'll just dip the fuck out. And people fight over what, if it's valid or what could it be. And, you know, it's happened to Bitcoin multiple times. And so this attack was dropped in the lap of Hush, I don't know, a few years ago now. And lead developers of many different crypto coins started joining the channel to like interview the guy and talk to him. And then the guy just basically disappeared. Disappeared. So I took that attack and what that guy said, and I researched it more than anyone else in the world. And I thought it was valid. Okay. So I protected hush against it. And that's what Siege is. And in that, you don't know how many people you're talking to that, that just comes for free. That's like this added bonus of, Oh, I don't even know if, you were talking to three or five or seven people in that instance. Like, I don't know. And that adds another layer of deniability. So, for instance, every hush transaction is a financial transaction, and every hush transaction is encrypted messaging. And you don't even have to use either part. So you could literally send a zero-value transaction and just use the encrypted me you know, messaging, or you could do the opposite. And nobody knows which part you're using. It always looks the same. So a lot of hush is like considering the blockchain analyst to be our attacker, to be our foe. And everything we do is to make their life hard and take away information on the public blockchain from them. And then you've said several times during this that, you know, Bitcoin's a surveillance coin. But I also look in your material and you basically say you don't compete with Bitcoin, you build upon it. So yeah. how does Hush build upon Bitcoin? Do you so, use the Bitcoin network at all, or do you just mean that you're taking what they started with and going forward, or do you mean both? That's a very good question, and it's it's both. So okay. we um, so I constantly read Hush developers and myself constantly look at the latest Bitcoin source code and pull things in. So for instance, like Tor v3, the Tor network was under attack recently, and they had to upgrade the whole network and turn off their v2 and you know so bitcoin just recently got that and so that's being in the process of being merged into hush so in that sense we're still you know in the open source world we call it like downstream you know bitcoin is our upstream and if we see good ideas in bitcoin we're always going to pull them in so um that used to happen in zcash but basically zcash has gone off in its own weird totally kind of weird direction of not optimizing for privacy so we don't often pull anything from from zcash anymore so it's mostly uh from bitcoin but then also like just like pirate 
there is this concept of delayed proof of work. So I don't know if, you know, I don't want to assume that your listeners heard the other talk or if they talked about it, but you can protect smaller hash rate crypto coins with larger ones. So you can actually inject kind of data and prevent attacks, mining attacks. So Hush does that. I, you know, I've worked on delayed proof of work for a long time. Uh, when I was a Komodo developer, I was also one of their notary node operators, and that's one of the people that actually protects the mainnet from mining attacks via putting data into Bitcoin. So it's, uh, I, you know, it's a, it's actually both. So I don't know if I went to too much detail, but yeah, a little bit of both. No, that's great. I, we, we have talked about, uh, delayed proof of work here before. I mean, I don't think we need to go deep into it. We didn't then. We shouldn't now because either somebody understands it or they're not ready for it. I, yeah. I right. The yeah. First book on delayed proof of work. I wrote the book on it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, I know a lot about that shit, but it's yeah, it's not, it's not particularly exactly hush or privacy. So gotcha. So um, now, I, again, I don't want to like throw two companies at each other with only one side of the equation, but the the the, the way that pirate one of the ways pirate is in, in, uh, looks to gain security is by actually running on three blockchains, Komodo. Their own native blockchain and Bitcoin is 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 Hush doing something like that, or is it? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's. I would say either people don't understand delayed proof of work, or it's all makes sense. But basically, delayed proof of work is where data goes from Pirate to Komodo, and now Komodo changed away from Bitcoin because they spent too much money huh? and they use Litecoin now. So now. Okay. Pirate and Komodo both have a lower security because of using Litecoin. That's because the the daily cost to to protect Komodo and Pirate was about a tenth of a Bitcoin. Okay. Shit. Yeah. Shit, that's the right response. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's because of transaction fees in the mempool. So you know this is all verifiable data. You can ask the other side. I'm I'm not one to like give false data and also this used to be my job you know that's yeah. why I know so many details so I actually retired from it because it was it was too much work <laughs> for the pay um, but yeah I know a lot of the details of how pirate uh, it works like I, I know how the sausage is made so I'm asking yeah. you more how hush works like what is what is your method like what Blockchain? Are you using the Bitcoin blockchain, or you, you know wh what are you doing in your DPOW to to ensure the security of your blockchain? Sure, I would just say I, I don't think that the users, okay, the listeners, <laughs> no, it's just all gobbledygook. So I, I, I guess I would prefer to focus on privacy. But Hush has DPOW. I wrote all the DPOW code in Pirate, and so yes, all Hush has it as well. You okay. know, like. A better version of it, even you know, but yeah. you can't verify that. So let's just not. Okay. Okay. That dick measuring contest is not interesting, kind of thing, you know. Like okay. If people really want to see. Like I have thousands of lines of code inside of Pirate. It's yeah. old shit, you know. Hush yeah. is is the new shit. <laughs> so yeah, it's. I try to be diplomatic about Pirate, but actually, it's kind of hard. Okay. 
They Let's, also attacked our network. Dude, let me just tell you, you don't have to put this in. I just want you to know. Uh, if you say it, it's in. So <laughs> think about that when you say things. Pirate right? attacked our network and tried their damnedest to do denial of service attacks and blockchain attacks, malicious attacks with their delayed proof of work. So if you want to hear a story about delayed proof of work that no one's got, Komodo attacked Hush, did a malicious depow attack so that we had to disable all of their code, you know, in our code base related to them because they were, right, they were protecting us, right? That That's what their marketing was. You know, I was one of their developers. They were protecting us. You know, I had a developer handshake. I never paid for Depal. Like, I was one of the people doing it, so Hush was protected. And then when I left, you know, bad vibes happened between Pirate and Hush. I'm not going to go into that. But then a lot of attacks happened. <laughs> so, you know... It's, it is what it is. Um, Hush is the newer source code with updated fixes. It has the stuff from attacking Zcash.com. It has all that goodness okay. and it has encrypted, you know, P2P nodes. So if anyone cares to look, Hush is just an upgraded pirate with more privacy, you know? Okay. That, I'll, I'll stop there. No, that's fine. So, Let's go into some of the other things that come out of that project, like Hush Chat. What is Hush Chat? Hush Chat, you know, if you want the Silicon Valley, you know, elevator pitch, it's like Signal on a blockchain. And some people might cringe the fuck out, and <laughs> that's okay, but it gets the point across. So if you want the, like, way more wordier version, you know, I have been watching and using Signal and what it was before it was called Signal a long time. The Signal protocol is very sound at the cryptographic layer. It's that the company is almost definitely, like, working. <laughs> well, anything Jack Dorsey is associated with, immediately, like, my hackles go up, right? I mean... Yeah. Signal requires your phone number. It, it's a U.S. company. The, the lead dude, like... It's, there's too many red flags for me, and I've been using it since it was called, tech, you know, Tech Secure and, okay. and Red Phone. So, yeah, like, but the protocol is actually sound. So it's one of those things where it's like the protocol is amazing, but the implementation of the protocol is backdoor. All right, you know, we can go, we can get past that. So um, what we do is we basically implement Signal Protocol on top of Zcash Protocol with all that good zero knowledge math, right? And then we also make it, you know. Privacy only. You can't use the, the un, you know, the doxing features. You can't use transparent. You know, you actually need the Z address because that's what has the encrypted data storage. So Zcash protocol itself has encrypted data in every transaction, even if you don't use it. So that means it's deniable whether you used it or not. If you just look on the blockchain, you can't tell if someone's using it or not because they're all using it no matter what. If you don't use it, it's just a bunch of garbage data. Gotcha. So, um, and how yeah. do people get I mean, is it like, is it is it within the Hush wallet? Is it a separate yes. piece of yes. software? It's, it's, a mean, feature, it's just a feature of our wallets. Okay. One of our, 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 we have our desktop light wallet has Hush Chat support in it, and then it will be implemented in other wallets. We have an Android wallet. We have, obviously, a full node and, like, uh, And then GUI and command line wallets. So, but if you want to do hush chat, it's, uh, it's in our light wallet. So yeah, there's probably, if people want to like get in, involved or learn about this stuff, um, 
Our Telegram is where we do our official user support, for better or worse. If you hate Telegram, I understand. But if you do hush.is slash TG, that'll get you into our main Telegram room, and then we have various – we have an official support channel. So if anyone has, like, questions, like, we're a free software community. Like, we have a bunch of nerdy people answering questions and, and helping people. And so, I don't know, I just wanted to say that that, that is part of – of what you get <laughs> when you when you become part of the hush communities there's a bunch of people that that help newbies and care and they want to make the software better and they want to hear about the bugs and stuff so so i'm i'm looking at one of your presentations and it says backdoors everywhere and it's like signal whatsapp wicker some Every- other plate threema which i don't even know what the hell that is telegram wechat zoom um and it who's backdoored it um but yet you're using telegram Is that just because you have to have some interface with, let's say, the uninitiated, and then, like, well, let's bring you Telegram. over? Or We use Telegram as it was intended. It's a public social network. Okay. You know? It's Yeah, we're not, we're not assuming we're getting any privacy on Telegram. So okay. we often have to teach people, like, to not dox themselves on Telegram. You know, gotcha. don't post your address. Don't post your real name. Don't yeah. post your picture. Don't post pictures of your kids. Like, yeah. like, like yes, so... Literally, we need something, right? Telegram's like free infrastructure, right? We're, you know, free software. We don't want like hundreds of dollars per month bills from, you know, basic things like, you know, doing user support and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it ended up, you know, we've, we've used every platform. So we started with Slack years ago. Then we migrated to Discord. Then we migrated to Telegram. You know, there's also an element matrix room. You know, like we have everything. There's a Mastodon. There's a PeerTube. There, there's a Bitcoin talk. Like we, we have everything. Basically, mm-hmm. You know, but Telegram is just stupidly easy to use. And and uh, for user support and, and whatnot around the world, Telegram has pretty much the biggest user base that's not totally, you know, WhatsApp is – giving your data directly to Facebook. Oh, fuck Facebook, right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Telegram is, and also the crypto coin world particularly, uh, it, it is always the leading adopter. And Slack, you know, oops, sorry. Slack was what it was years ago. Like there was crypto coin Slacks like in 2016, you know, like they're the, some of the first ones. And then Discord, and now it's Telegram. Like if you don't have a Telegram, In the crypto coin world, they're like, what is wrong with you? Why don't you have a teller? No, so, I agree. And I think there's like, use certain tools for what they're valid for. I've been told, we teach you know. People, there's no privacy on Telegram. Don't assume that there's privacy. This is a social network, you know, giving people help, you know, and then it's a way to trade info to get to other more private places. You know, you can, for instance, to talk to someone on Hush Chat, it's, it's, it's a decentralized chat platform. So, There's no central servers. There's no company running it. You just give someone your address. If you give someone your Z address, somehow, it could be on a carrier pigeon in a, in a piece <laughs> of paper. It could be a yeah. Telegram chat. It could be anything. Then that's the way that, that you can start encrypted chat. And no one knows when you're talking. No one knows what you're talking about. No one knows how many people you're talking to. And it's pretty good. I don't know. Like, and if people hate it, Go back to using Facebook and Signal, I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I like so. Here's kind of a redundant, uh, not really redundant, like pointless question. Maybe I guess 
one of the things that people love about things like Telegram is that you can have this group and discuss things in group. And there is an encrypted feature. Again, like you said, it's been backdoored. But there's an encrypted feature where, like, if you and I are on Telegram talking just to each other, we can select encryption for that discussion. However, yes. in a group chat, you can't do that. And to me, that's always been like, well, duh, because since you don't know who's in the group, it doesn't really matter. You need to assume that it, when it, whenever you have... You're a logical, smart person, Jack, and you understand that the most simple attack is the screenshot attack. You know? Yeah. It's like if you're going to have a group of 100 people and you don't know any of them but you want end-to-end -end encryption, it's like how do you solve the problem of that one bad person that screenshots your room? You know, yeah. like yeah. there's nothing to do. And let me go one better. You just, if the app doesn't allow you to screenshot, just in case anyone doesn't know this, you just have to have that second phone to take a picture of it. And then you can actually take a picture of the first phone, the second phone, and actually get that picture right back onto the first phone. So for anyone that thinks that, you know, large encrypted chat rooms are a thing, no. Like if, if you don't trust every single person in the room, it's pretty much just uh, the reason – Telegram and these companies don't do it. It's extra servers that they'll need. It costs them money. And it doesn't work because, I mean, yeah. screenshot, nothing. I could be sitting at the NSA with a fictitious ID plugged into your encrypted chat, and every yeah. single thing's on my end is being decrypted because I have to have decryption to see yeah. what you're telling me. I guess yeah. where I'm going with that, though, is can I do hush chat with more than one party on the other end that's encrypted? So... In theory, yes. The, so hush chat is kind of like an idea or a protocol in itself. You can do a lot of things. For, for instance, you could allow attachments of images or not, or you could, you know, maybe allow HTML or not. You know, these things all have kind of security privacy issues, but, um, you could allow them. So it is possible to, um, chat, I would say probably with the current block size limit, you could potentially have maybe a few hundred, maybe two to three hundred. I'm not sure people like the, the, what I'm saying is the hush blockchain itself, like it, it supports group chats. Okay. Like you could, you know, the GUI right now does not, right. We're focused on one to one chats because okay. that's basically where the privacy is. So yeah, to give a direct statement, the, uh, the GUI, the, the, the graphics for multiple group chat is not there. And that's basically we're still hammering out like all the, the good bugs and stuff for one-to-one -one challenge. For instance, we have emoji support and, and all kinds of weird stuff. And then also people start typing in Chinese or <laughs> like Israeli Arabic yeah. or like left to right, right to left languages. You know, there's a lot of weird bugs in, a, yeah. in making a chat app. So yeah, I would say like basically all the work, 80% of the work is making it work really, really well for one-to-one. -one. And then, you know, I would say hush chat. It's a little different too because here's the thing: hush chat. It costs money. Privacy costs money. I'm not sure if you knew that, Jack. No, I do. <laughs> yeah. Everything costs. Anything worth having costs money because it requires an expenditure of energy. Yes, and you know, for better or worse, a long time ago, originally Satoshi said, "You know what? We're going to allow free transactions as long as people don't abuse the network." That's a direct quote from Satoshi. And then, you know, within a few years after he was gone, they, they had to disable that because people abused the network. They're, you know, that's what they call like a, a spam attack or whatever. So it fills up block space, but it doesn't pay any miners or anything. So, you know, 
there's you have to balance those two things. And uh, for Hush, you just have to pay a transaction fee. It's a ten thousandth of a Hush currently. So literally, Hush is like a few cents or a few satoshis. I don't I don't really look at the price much. But to send one Hush chat right now, you get ten thousand chats for one Hush, and and one Hush is like I don't know, it's like fourteen cents. Okay, it was ten or twelve the last time I looked. Yeah, so yeah, cents. like literally, you know, we wanted to make it very affordable for everyone in the world. Like, if you think about it from the point of view of Hush, we wouldn't want Hush Chat to be like kind of a large number because then it prices out a whole part of the world. You know, most people can't pay a dollar per chat message or something, or even maybe one penny per chat message might be too much. So yeah, it just worked out that way, but. You know, obviously, if Hush goes to a bajillion dollars, then sending a chat uh, goes up in price. Um, and that's another big, important change, I would say, from Hush and Pirate. So, first of all, Hush has Hush Chat. Pirate doesn't. It's a, kind of something that had come out of my brain. But uh, Hush also supports the idea of you not trusting us. Imagine that. Hmm. Not trusting our production mainnet. And you wanting to run your own with our code. Okay, we... Trivially support that. That's called the Hush Smart Chain. We have this whole website that helps you make it or whatever. But in the pirate world, you can verify this on their end. They do not allow you to make a competitor to pirate. If you try, it says, sorry, we do not want competitors to pirate. Please use, it says, please use pirate, something like that. So I didn't like that. I saw that limitation being written as a developer, and that was one of the reasons I left and changed and made, you know, that's, that's like a core philosophy difference between Hush and Pirate. So Hush wants you to compete with us. We want you to build on our stuff because we want everyone to use our stuff, right? So we're not trying to be your king and you live in our kingdom kind of thing because that's that's kind of what it is if you don't let someone spin up their own chain, you know? So Hush allows you, like, for instance, let's say you're, like, super crazy high military job. I don't know what. You work for a three-letter agency or whatever, you guys shouldn't trust me or Hush developers. You should look at our code, read every line. If you like it, run it on your own system and under a fucking mountain. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? Pirate, no. You are forced to using their public network. And some people, they just have to be like air gaps or whatever. They can't ever talk to the public internet. So it immediately closes high security doors. Whereas Hush, like I'm literally telling the highest, you know, the people need the highest privacy in the world. I'm like, here's your thing, you know, like, I built it. Here it is, right here. Hmm. You don't have to use the public network. You can spin up a friggin' side chain under a mountain. Let's talk a little bit about why the average person needs to even care about all this. Um, you, we, we, There's a, a, a monkeyer that I think every person in the world has heard, Silicon Valley. You refer to it as Surveillance Valley. Talk a little bit about that. Valley. Well, I did work there. Uh, I, I remote, I remoted into Surveillance Valley when I worked at VMware, um, managing their GitHub of their open source code. But I'm basically, you know, a connoisseur of history, and there's just really fascinating public history of Silicon Valley is basically a rebranding. The name Silicon Valley is basically a rebranding of. The defense industry is literally the defense war machine of World War II. The people that were designing 
the radar jammers and the next generation of radar and all the surveillance planes that flew over Russia in the Cold War. Like, so much. Like, that was Silicon Valley. Silicon makes radar more fast and efficient and not make as much heat, like the actual equipment that makes radar. So literally, Silicon Valley came from a bunch of radar companies, right? And there's a whole bunch of fun history online. I think it's in my presentation there um, about that. So, yeah, it's Surveillance Valley. You know, it's every company there is built on funding that comes from the surveillance world. And could you tell us, like, what data do these people actually want to get their hands on, these people that are surveilling us? Like, I'm sure there's people that are like, you know, I don't – I mean, it's not just I don't have anything to hide. Like, that's pretty impish, I think, to come up with that response. But, like, I think some people do struggle with, well, what data okay. do they value that I might I, I, actually yeah, create? You no, know, you're right. Obviously – Some people are model citizens and they have nothing to worry about and they could have their privacy invaded and nothing would, would be go wrong, you know, like, and those people, you know, I, who knows about those people? They're probably not listening to your program right now, right? But to speak to your question, I would say what's really insidious, you know, what's really scary is the, is medical data, I would say, like, because let's say all your medical data is leaked to people that you don't want it to be, then, you know, things real, that's real consequences on your life. Like in the future, you know, insurance companies would say like, oh, now that this other company tells me that you smoke cigarettes, I'm going to charge you more money every month because I saw you smoking a cigarette on this CCTV and I bought the footage from this other company, you know, mm. like it could be as simple and dumb as that, right? Or it could be like, oh, we found out you have a rare life-threatening disease that only a one in 10 million people get, and now we're dropping you so we don't have to pay. Or you all. have the gene that means yeah. that you could develop it, maybe, yeah. so we're dropping you. Or we're excluding that from your coverage. Yes. Medical data, DNA, the really low-level data that a lot of people don't really know how to value, it's invaluable. You know, it's, it's your own personhood. You know, it's, it's like who you are. It's also like you're they're, they're going to like market to you based on your genes. You know, like let's say like you go get a shot at the, you know, highly, you know, weird company that's selling all your data against HIPAA or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it's just a leak. You know, hackers are always hacking stuff, right? There's all these leaks. No one knows how to secure data. So <laughs> it's like your your genes and your data gets out there and then you start to see marketing for like diseases that you don't have yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. Like, yet. Yet. You know, yet. Like, and then you're like, wow, I'm getting all this marketing for sickle cell or something. You know, I don't know what, you know, what example it would be. Well, but here's, here's a real example, right? So this girl that was actually a minor, um, her father noticed that she started, that their household started getting, and I think it was from Target. I could be wrong, so I'm not maligning Target. I, but I from, know what you're talking about, right? yep. Right, that she yeah, right. the, the stuff for like baby diapers and shit like for, for yep. the, a pregnant woman would get. The girl didn't know she was pregnant. She didn't yep. even know she was pregnant. But when a female becomes pregnant, they start to have some behavioral changes, and even before they know, their purchasing decisions begin to change right. unconsciously, yep. 
And it turned out that the reason they were getting these marketing pieces was because their algorithm predicted that somebody in the household was pregnant and did so accurately. Yes. Now, that should scare the living shit out of anybody. I mean, and honest to God. I agree with you. And also, that is something I would call metadata leakage that people don't realize is valuable metadata. And, and the metadata right here is there's all these little purchases that you make throughout the year and throughout your life. And the companies study them. And so they could figure out that maybe because of the way, the things that she was buying or whatever, she was highly likely to be, you know, a pregnant teenage girl. And they didn't think, you know, probably no problems for her. Like, we'll just start yeah. sending mail to her address. Yeah. You know, I think that's what happened. And I think it went to court. I don't know what happened. But there was, you know, obviously people don't realize that their spending habits – You know, most people would rather get the discount at the store than than pay a little more and not have themselves tracked. Like, I see it all the time, you know. So most people would rather give up privacy for a tiny little bit of, uh, you know. Discount or whatever. And I think and, there's, there's another thing in this. I, I don't remember the exact circumstances this came into, but it was a it was a college class. I think it was a law class. And it wasn't really a debate. It was more like two sides present their thing independently. And it was a lawyer and a police detective. And the subject was, should you ever talk to the police? Well, <laughs> the lawyer goes first, and he lays out this case, and he gives a scenario, and I won't get it exactly right, but it was something like, you could have done nothing wrong, had nothing to hide. Cops come to you, they ask you if you were in this place. You say you were in this place, and you have no idea that anything even happened in this place. And he was much more eloquent and, and longer with his explanation of it. But it was like, not only could this make you look guilty, this could actually convince the detective who's pursuing the investigation and the DA that you are guilty. And therefore, they're going to start building the case against you that otherwise they wouldn't have, even though you didn't do anything. Well, how is me disclosing that I went to, you know, East Edge Mall last Friday different than my phone disclosing that I went to East Edge Mall last Friday, right? Like, it's the same thing. But but the difference is the phone does it whether I choose to do it or not. And this yep. is the way we have to start thinking about all of this shit to where I don't care if you have anything to hide. You can look guilty of something by your presence at a location or by a pattern of behavior. Addition, I would say just for your listeners, GPS data, how, however boring GPS seems, Yeah. Probably outside of medical data is probably some of the most useful data. And let me give an example because uh, before Bitcoin existed many, many years ago, like, you know, I had normal jobs working at normal companies. You do boring stuff. And, you know, uh, it, I know how this data is used because I've been a programmer at those companies that steal your privacy. All right. The mm -hmm. ones that are like putting those little web trackers in your friggin' browser and everyone's freaking out about. Like, dude. I know exactly how that shit works. <laughs> so, like, it's D GPS data, your zip code, just from your zip code, I could tell you so many things about you that you would freak out. And, and you would think that I'm guessing, right? If someone can just figure out your zip code, it tells them your range of your salary. It tells them, like, the sure. culture that you live in. It tells them your you know, probable make of your car, you know, like it's, you know, people that live in crazy rich neighborhoods, they're not, they're not driving a Camry. No. <laughs> so, you know, the, the people don't realize such a silly thing as a zip code 
is literally like probably 20 different pieces of information. And that's because all these companies use zip codes to target uh, advertising and marketing and buy and sell time. Certain zip codes are worth more money. You know, they, they need to know everything there is about it. Every zip code in the U.S. and, and area codes for other places. There's, so. there's two things yeah. in there. One is, and this is where I was going next, that generally people don't like it when someone steals value from them or steals something from them without their permission or consent that has value, even if it doesn't directly hurt them. So these these technocratic sons of bitches, I'm, I'm trying to not use another word. That's are, fine. You're are, not going to offend me. I don't know. No, I'm not worried about you. as an audience. <laughs> um, so... They are becoming incredibly wealthy based on even if the knowledge isn't of, you know, Duke or Jack, right? Like the, 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 the trend data, the trend data in the group data is – and so you have all these companies that are basically selling your data, both personal data and trend data. They're becoming incredibly wealthy. And I think some people are like, well, I can't monetize that, so what? And I think there will be some ways that if people want to, they can in the future, but irrelevant okay. – I agree. What I'm saying is the people enriching themselves from this, becoming the wealthiest entities that have ever existed in the history of the planet, are also not your fucking friends, right? So oh, what you're doing now is you're taking these companies. You that, are the product. And that, that, media. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going worse than that, more nefarious. Like, So you've got these, these, these bastards that want to control the whole world, and they're using you to build the war chest to control you. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, They're oh, enriching let themselves. Further. Let me and, go one further than you, Jack, because I like the tinfoil hat you just put on, and I'm going to bust out my whole tinfoil suit here for you. <laughs> okay. All right, so, so here's the deal. You know, like the defense industry of World War II, they built – the spy planes that like really won World War II. Like surveillance technology is what won World War II. It wasn't bombs. I mean, maybe the bomb, the nuclear bomb ended it, but like the real everyday fight and struggle, like yeah. it was because the U.S. had the superior surveillance technology. And we actually found every Nazi radar tower, even though they hid them across their whole country. And like new math was invented, all kinds of cool shit, you know. It, it, so our surveillance culture of the United States goes very deep, okay? So now, you know, all of a sudden you realize that people just want to give the computer data, you know? All of a sudden you just see that, like, Facebook is collecting all this data and people are just putting videos of themselves and all this stuff. It's free to surveil that way. It's free to, to suck up all that data. You don't have to build a bug and put it in a wall and do the thing and have someone go there. Like, like it's all just coming to you. Like social media was a rebranding of surveillance and it was so that people gave them the data instead of them yeah. having to go out and get the data. No, absolutely. Okay? They, they used to have to build spy planes and fly two miles over Russia to get the data. Then they realized that you'll just put it into Facebook for free. Well, and now, now take it to its logical conclusion. Let's say that you are an evil bastard running the, the world, or a part of the world, and you want to formulate a lie. You want to formulate a lie about, I don't know, a virus. It happens all day long, right. and, and but, the marketing people sell ads that are lies on YouTube. You know, like absolutely. as long as you pay enough, you do whatever. That's yeah. that's certainly how I see it. But but think about it this way: now I'm I'm I'm, the, I'm this evil oligarch or technocrat or this politician. I want to sell a lie. About something like I said, like a virus, right? But I want to do this. I want to know exactly how to tell 
the lie in the way that the most people will believe it. Yes, right? there's a science to that. That was figured out in 2016 Democratic election. Yeah, so that's, that, that's exactly what they're doing right now. Like, So by being surveilled, you're contributing to the knowledge so that they know how to lie to you. And I know like you mentioned tinfoil hat. That might sound a little tin hat. To me, it's not because it logically I, tracks. You know, there's some tin hat I, shit know. that does not logically track. This, I like you know, I, I like to pull out, you know, and say it's tinfoil hat. Yeah. But really, yeah, no, I was agreeing with you. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe you have, you know, even if you're not in the military or have a military background, a lot of basic military ideas just make sense. You know, like let's say you're the you're a military, you're a bunch of soldiers or something. I don't know, like, and you're gonna camp for the night in the forest. Do you want your enemies to be camped five feet away from you, like listening to you all night? Like, that's crazy. Like, that's insane. Like, that just doesn't make any sense, right? And so, you know, I think people don't see it in those terms. They don't see it as a as a war. But it, it kind of is in the fact that these companies are harvesting your data against your will or basically forcing you. And they are because they have experts that make, for instance, mobile games addictive. You know, they, they let you play it for free. And then there's paid add-ons and people get super addicted and they literally just bankrupt themselves on mobile games. Like it's a documented thing. And they're hiring gambling experts that like literally like design, you know, Vegas slot machines or whatever. And they're, 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 they're preying on people. It's not, you know, I think we'll look back in 50, 100 years and we'll say, wow, like they let people do that to other people. Like, you know, like. Like literally, yeah. I think yeah. they will. Like with how bad advertising and marketing and lying and there being no just you could say anything as long as you're saying it's marketing, right? That that's our culture. Like there is no such thing as a lie if it's marketing. That's the American at least culture. So I think that that shows that like a, the society's breaking down a bit, you know. Like so it's about the bread and the circus, you know. That's that's what stage we're in now. So let's talk about hardware a little bit because I see something in one of your your. Uh, presentation is called Precursor, and so I've always found it interesting. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not yeah. a, I'm not a religious guy or anything, but you know, there's a lot of people that are worried about the mark of the beast, and you're going to get a, a chip in your right hand or your forehead and all. And I'm like, okay, so these same people are walking around with an Apple phone in their right <laughs> hand, right? Like, think about this, like, like the right hand or the forehead, you couldn't buy or sell unless you had the mark of the beast, and you, you just see thousands of people walking around with a phone held in their right hand up to their head all the time. Like, it, it, it's so accurate, it's even spooky, it's, yeah. right? And For so, the, like, if we don't fix the hardware, you can do anything you want with the software. So it seems like you guys are somehow involved with that concept. Precursor is just cool. Like, I put it in there because the guy, that's literally a picture from the conference the day before. Like, uh, that was being released and talked about at the same conference I was talking about. Okay. It's a hardware phone that's like, very hard to backdoor, basically. A lot of the insides of the phone are clear so that you can physically inspect the phone for hmm. fucking bugs and weird stuff. And basically, it's like uh, at every layer of the fabrication and making of that phone, it's designed so that the people buying it can verify that the people making it didn't backdoor it. So it's cool. And we have this thing called the Hush phone as well like the whole idea of having hush on your mobile phone you could do it as simple as like just installing our app that you know we have an app on google play 
uh, Silent Dragon Android. It's called all of our wallets are Silent Dragon something. So Silent Dragon Android. Um, and that lets you connect to your wallet on your computer. It's not a fully mobile only light wallet yet because in the beginning that did, wasn't really considered secure or private, but kind of, you know, just to, it's really about allowing people to get into things. You know, Google Play surveils the fuck out of you just for your, for your listeners oh. to understand. If you install anything, like, doesn't matter how much security, Monero, Ultra, Privacy, Tor, whatever. If you're doing it through Google Play, you're already fucked. All right, you're you're using you're you're phoning home to Google every few seconds, telling it that you're using that app. So, um, you know, when we put software in Google Play, it's kind of as like just adoption. We're just trying to, you know, mm-hmm. people expect you to have an app in Google Play, right? It's just like obviously, but um, for instance, as well. Google is forcing people like me to give them the decryption keys to the app so they could modify the app at any time on any person's phone. And I don't think that's right. I don't want any part of it. I don't want to pay them money to be part of that system. Yeah. But yet all these people assume, you know, you need to have the app on the Play Store thing. So that's the world we're in where privacy is is like you, you – you're going totally against the grain of the surveillance valley if you want privacy. You can't use Apple either. Apple mm. was just caught in the last week or two saying that China has full access to all their hardware in their Chinese factories. That was the only way China would let them stay. Duh. Duh. So, you know, like, not only is your Apple phone backdoored by the U.S. government, but also the Chinese government. Duh. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it's way worse than anyone realizes. And, and having real privacy is literally a full-time job, if not more. So that's why I say you want to choose where you are in the spectrum. What Are you protecting yourself against, you know, uh, nation-state organizations, well, you're screwed already. You don't need to be, you shouldn't be listening to this. You should be in the woods, you know? Like, uh, if you're protecting yourself against your roommate stealing your Bitcoins from your computer or whatever, that's like most people, you know? Like, and that, you need to just understand, what do I need to do to protect myself against this threat model? It's, it's all about understanding threat modeling. So we try to teach Hush users about that. Like, who are you actually protecting yourself against? You know, some people are protecting themselves against the government. Like, wherever they live, the government says, if you use this program or do this thing on your computer, you know, that's really bad. We'll throw you in jail or kill you or whatever. You know, some people are have much higher threat models than others. Well, let me, so. let me lay out a case to why a person in the United States should care about a high-level bureaucrat being burned for cheating on his wife. This sounds like something you couldn't give two flying shits about, right? Like, so some rich ass, some bitch who's making all this money from my tax dollars, uh, his wife would find out that he's cheating, that somebody would be able to find that information out. That seems like that wouldn't affect you at all, and good riddance. Well, not if the person that found out was working for the Russian FSB or the whatever they call the the, the, the same That's organization in China, yeah. and then use that to compromise that individual to turn them into an asset to a foreign government and use them to manipulate your government to doing things that as bad as your government is, they wouldn't have done that in the first place. Like, people don't think... We, we don't even... Like, I used to say that, like, while the world's playing checkers, we're playing chess. We don't even play chess anymore. We play, like, yeah, freaking I mean, Parcheesi or some shit that's all <laughs> random chance. Like, no idea what we're doing at all. I think most people like to, like 
kind of like cosplay or fantasizing, you know, like, wow, I'm going to be like, you know, the NSA can't freaking track me or whatever. It's like, it's a joke. Like, if you really knew what the NSA does every day and can do, like, you wouldn't be saying that shit. Like, you would have a little more, like, you know, be a little more humble. Like, (laughs) So my hope, just to all your readers, is, you know, some people, you know, a friend of a friend or, you know, it's a little bird told me, but some people say that the NSA loves Hush. Like, they use it themselves. Like, they, they, they play with it in their own little under the mountain somewhere, you know, because they can. Hush is made so that anyone can, like, go total tinfoil hat, go under a mountain, have their own VPN and have their own thing and not have it connected to the Internet. Or you could do your own thing that's connected to the Internet. Or you can use Hush. It's like a... It's a spectrum of privacy. So the easiest thing is to use Hush, the, the public Hush network. You know, that's like the servers are running, the miners are mining, you know, the, the exchanges are exchanging, right, or whatever. And But, you know, some people, they don't trust any type of public network with that stuff. And go, go good, awesome. You know, like they can take our code and our software and still do their own thing. And to us, that's like people building on top of our stuff. You know, maybe... If the NSA uses Hush stuff, maybe they once in a while, you know, create a non-account and patch a bug and submit a thing somewhere and, you know, <laughs> Hush benefits from that. So the more people that use Hush software, the more privacy every Hush user has, you know. It's the same thing as Where's Waldo. If you do Where's Waldo and there's only five people in the picture, it's really fucking simple to find Waldo, you know. like. <laughs> so, that's literally the idea of an anon set. You know, you might have heard the word anonymity set or anon set. Sometimes it's called shielded tool size. So anon set is literally how many unspent private coins are there? Basically, how many un- unspent things are there in the privacy pool of stuff, right? And Pirate and Hush have right now basically almost exactly the same, within a few percent. We are the top two, all right? Okay. Zcash has less than a third of what Hush and Pirate have. And they are, their network is much older. You know, they've been trying to do it for four years and they literally have 6% friggin' privacy and their their pool, you know, the Where's Waldo, you know, friggin' page is really small. <laughs> so that's another way you can measure privacy points. There's all these metrics um, that you can measure them. And for instance, Hush was the first one to ever show you in real time what our anon set was like because you know we knew it was really important metric so i wrote the code to like be able to always see what it is and before that it was like this really onerous calculation kind of thing so yeah we're we're really nerdy about privacy coins like anyone that looks into privacy coins like you either love hush or you hate hush and that, if you hate hush it's probably because you know you're a fanboy of some other coin or something like that so I hate no one. I, I try to look at everything and say, what does it do well and how does it fit that's my good. life? That's, that's, let me, you know, Pirate has done, I want to thank Pirate and, and say what they've done well because I'm actually, you know, it's like I said, it's like one of my lost children. It has a lot of my code in it. You know, I think that the world needs more privacy coins to defeat the, the Death Star of surveillance. You know, like we can't figure it out. We can't solve it with just one or two. Or even 10. Like, we, we need a lot of privacy points. That's why Hush lets you build your own and all and all this stuff. So I want to say what Pirate has done well is they've gotten exchanges to support Z addresses. So, like, yeah. 
you know, he, yes. you know, and that wasn't easy. That was not was, easy. Like, and I was part, you know, I won't say that I got it figured out, but I was part of that struggle for years. And we never, we, we tried to make so many exchanges, support C address. And they're like, no, nope, fuck that. They're too slow or no, nope, yeah. fuck that. It's just, it makes our wallet slower. You know, there are problems and, but they made exchanges support it. And so now, Obviously, that helps Hush and every other coin that has these addresses, which is a few different ones. So it like opens some doors. So now exchangers like, oh, okay, we know what fucking Z addresses are. Yep, that you're not like coming out of the woods in a different language because when yeah. an exchange hears that you have an address that they've never heard of, they shit their pants. All right, they're they're just like, oh no, this is. Well, and I up. think people need to understand that that's not just, oh, the government doesn't like it, right? There's there's some exchanges that couldn't give two shits what the government likes. It's, how yeah. do I make sure I have a good user experience, let right? Me, let me speak to that as well, because there's a huge performance uh, cost of privacy. Let me just say that again. Yes. If you're paying a cost, to, mostly for your listeners, not for you, Jack, I think you know this. If you're not paying a cost for your privacy then it's probably just snake oil and you don't really have any. You, know, you need to pay a cost in time or money or inconvenience or some mixture of that. So Z addresses take way longer. Like, for example, a Bitcoin transaction literally takes a few milliseconds. It's, it's crazy fast. It's, it's scary fast, right? A Z address transaction, when it started, they could take a few minutes, Right now, it's a few seconds, you know, depending on the hardware and depending on how big your wallet is. So there is a actually a very big performance cost. And for an exchange, if you, they're used to making a thousand transactions in a few minutes, yeah, that's not going to happen with fucking Z addresses. Okay, they and it's possible to make it work, but it's like exchanges need to change their backend code to support Z addresses first, just just at all, and yeah. then. To really make things efficient and not get like kind of screw the pooch with getting making stuff really slow, they need to like tweak how they do things a little bit. They they need to like understand our shit a little bit, and then they can get back to kind of their level of of performance. But as you expect, if everything works fine for them, they don't want to deal with any of that. They don't want to pay anyone to change code. They don't want to change the servers. They don't want to change the GUI. So. Yeah, there's there is a, a purely like the sysadmin gets more annoyed when Z addresses are involved. Like, sure, okay, I'm well, a sysadmin, I get it. Like, it, it takes up more time, it takes up more space. Like, that's privacy. It, it takes up more time and space. Well, and here's how I'm going to come at this: if I'm one of these exchanges from an entrepreneurial standpoint, do I make enough money on the volume to make doing all this shit worth doing? And if the answer is no, I'm out. It's not even personal. I might yeah. think it's a wonderful idea, but if it's going to cost me more to provide a service than I can make on a service, I'm not doing it. And that's actually been uh, – that's happened. You know, like I know that Hush and Pirate and all Zcash, Zcash included, all these coins, there's always been performance problems with Z addresses because they keep getting faster. Originally, they were crazy slow. Like originally, yeah. like it was a joke. And that's why almost no exchange supports Z adders on Zcash. Like Zcash is still trying to do all this marketing to get people to use the thing they invented. It's it's hilarious. Because basically, so, you don't buy it as a non-privacy coin. You take possession of it, and then you can use it as a privacy coin. That's that's how Zcash people, works. And I people said yeah. they got compromised, and that's why they didn't do it by default. 
I think the problem we're discussing right now, I'm not saying they didn't, but I'm saying it's more likely that they were like, we got to get on exchanges, guys. We, we yes. like, you know, we, we got all this investor money. We've promised that this is going to be a thing. And if we can't be available, then it's not going to be a thing. And then all these VCs are going to be freaking pissed off. And I think yeah. that's more likely what happened. It was all performance issues. So when Zcash launched, it was called Sprout Addresses. And, you know, that was basically like the simplest thing that could work. They didn't do any performance. You know, they didn't make it fast. They didn't. It was just like the, the craziest thing they could throw on the wall and it works. Like that was the first version of Z adders. So it would take like three to five minutes and four gigabytes of RAM, Jack. Like it would literally like max out your RAM for five minutes. Like it, it wasn't possible for exchanges to even support Zcash Z adders in the beginning. Period. Wasn't. They just didn't – it was ridiculous for them to support that. Now, in the last few years, a, a much faster version has come out. Um, that is what Hush uses. Pirate uses the new fast version as well, but they have the old version in their history, and then Zcash still supports both. So they're like the furthest back in history. Pirate turned off the first version. You can't yeah. You can't use Sprout in Pirate. Yeah, they went and, to Sapling. And that is because Sprout had a huge uh, – Ex exploit bug, uh, CVE we call them. They're kind of like special bugs that, that get a name and a number in the government database, but it was really bad. Like basically you could print infinite Zcash in a Z address with yeah. a Sprout Z address. It was really like basically like one of the worst bugs you could friggin' yeah. you could think of, right? And uh, it was bad. So what Hush did is we did a whole new blockchain and we got rid of the whole Sprout source code. We deleted it. And we like started a whole new thing. We're the only ones that, that did it. Like I spent the time to go in and delete all the maybe 30, 40,000, 50,000 lines of code that, that was sprout. So literally I've deleted more lines of code than I'm pretty sure any other developer except the creator of pirate has, has ever written for pirate. <laughs> like, like I've deleted more code than the pirate devs have written. I mean, come on, let's be real. So, um, there was the creator of pirate. You know, JL77, and he wrote, I would say, most of the code that Pirate uses because that's basically Bitcoin and Komodo. And then I wrote a huge amount of the DPAL code, the, the code that protects your transactions against stuff and the privacy shit. Like, I, I was a Komodo developer at that time. So, yeah, like, I consider Pirate, like, you know, something that I've helped work on, and I'm, I'm happy to see them do well um there there's been a lot of drama in the past and there you know so i i hope that pirate people listen to this and and consider it you know pretty diplomatic you know i'm just trying to lay the facts on the line um i need i hope that people see that i want there to be more privacy coins and not less you know that's why you can spin up your own with hush so so if somebody wants to get their hands on some hush How do they do that? What, what exchanges are you on? And, and tell us about, I, I believe you guys are working on your own decks. Yeah, I'll say I, I mostly try to keep my nose in the code and I try to stay away from marketing and exchanges okay. and stuff. But we are, um, on, there's an exchange, I think Safe Trade is what it is. Um, if you go to our Telegram, there's some, all kinds of good links. Um, if you join Telegram and you type slash mining, it'll show you a YouTube video of either how to buy Hush or how to mine it yourself. We try to teach people how to mine it because that's how you actually get 
privacy. Um, Safe Trade is a is an exchange that doesn't support doesn't do like KYC stuff, know your customer stuff. Uh, we don't support you know we don't want to pay or have anything to do with exchanges that require you to dox yourself and all that because that's that's the opposite point of a privacy point. So um, we were on many exchanges in the history. There was like Cryptopia days and things from a long time ago. Um, when we went full privacy and turned off the no privacy, uh, various exchanges dropped us. And that's mm-hmm. because they needed to surveil you, you know? So it was like, all right, that, we're, that's going back to my point. We're always optimizing for privacy. So, you know, I would say you can buy hush, but the preferred method we try to teach people is you can rent hash rate or, or buy, you know, miner yourself and if, uh, and mine it to directly to your wallet. And that really gives you a huge amount of privacy. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a few ways to, to get it. Um, also, like, we're a free software community. Like, if you come to our community and, like, do useful stuff, you know, like fix bugs or make documentation or whatever it is, like, people, like, you know, you can earn hush, like, to doing work, you know. So I would just throw that out there that, you know, we're looking for people to contribute, like to, to join, to actually care about privacy. And so if you want to do work related to that, like that might be the best way to, to get a hold of Hush. Well, very cool, man. I appreciate you uh, taking some time to be with us today. Uh, I've got a ton of resources I've collected during this conversation and from things that were sent to me uh, prior to the interview and from the presentation you sent me uh, just before we started the interview. And I'll make sure all of that... Um, is in the show notes. Is there anything else that you wanted to kind of throw out there as a resource for people or anything like that before we wrap up or any final thoughts? Well, I'm sure there is, and I'm <laughs> probably just going blank. But I know, I think we can, if you have a few, like, extra questions you didn't get to or whatever, like, I think I've got a few more minutes. I'm not as crunched for time as I thought I was because time zones and shit. Yeah. So um, I probably, did, did you... I'm good. I just I always try to make sure I don't cut yeah, no, a guest I, off short. And if there's anything they wanted to talk about, that we get it out. Like I don't yeah. I don't have a time set limit on my show because it's not live. Uh, cool. It doesn't have to fit right. in anything. Okay. So if there's anything you have that you wanted to talk about, it, it's open. Yeah. So I would say, you know, I like how the depth and breadth of your questions. I think that you did really good. I would say. Maybe one thing, like, we really didn't talk about, well, how is Hush compared to other privacy coins? Let's say Monero. So Monero doesn't have zero-knowledge math, so all that goodness of zero-knowledge math you don't get, and uh, it's a really bad situation, actually, because with Monero, like, over time, if other people mess up, like, let's say they, you know, get their wallet sucked up via surveillance or whatever, and and things like that, like your privacy goes down. Like in, in Hush, like because our Where's Waldo set keeps growing, like your privacy increases over time. So Monero people, a lot of those coins are actually looking to add zero-knowledge math. So um, for people that are like, oh, Monero's the best, blah, 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 it's like, hold on, you know, Hush actually takes all a lot of the good ideas from Monero world like they were one of the first, I think maybe the first to say privacy only, you know, no regular, you know, no, no privacy transactions or privacy only. You, sh- you can't make it optional. That's, that's no privacy at all. So, um, yeah, Hush has all those good ideas. Uh, a lot of Monero people 
I like to talk about fungibility, big word, but Hush has got that too. Like it's got it really good because of all the other privacy stuff we have. So yeah, we love the nerdy people. Like if you're super nerdy about math or whatever, like I would say like, you know, I came on this to hopefully tell people about something they didn't know existed. Um, Hush is a thing. We're like a bunch of weirdos, decentralized cypherpunks. I like to say, you know, there's no company, there's no foundation. We're just a bunch of people that are trying to scratch our itch to create a little bit of privacy in the world. And I would say I'd like to maybe leave off with the fact that about a hundred years ago, the default state of every human in the world was privacy, right? And surveillance was was the outlier, right? And now that's flipped, you know? Basically, almost every person in the world, the default is to be surveilled almost every minute of the day. And privacy, you know, the funny thing is that now, like, and in, in the future, everyone will want their 15 minutes of privacy, all right? That, that's, that's our future that we're hmm. coming into now. So Hush is a way to do that. Hush is like one tool, you know, it's not a panacea. You're not going to solve all your problems. You're not going to, you know, hide from all the biggest KGB and the NSA and the FSB and all those good people of the world. You know, you need to learn a lot of stuff, but Hush could be the first step. <laughs> also, to all those intelligence and spy companies, you know, if you use Hush, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> well, hey, man. Um Duke, I really appreciated having this conversation with you today. And uh, like I said, I'll make sure that everything is available in the show notes as far as resources, links, etc. Cool. If you have a question, if I like, if there's a term that you want me to explain or whatever, I'm, you know, we have a bunch of documentation. I can send you stuff. So, yeah, just let me know if there's anything, you know, if, I don't know if you like put extra links, but yeah, I sent you a few. Yep. The, the presentation I think is just great for newbies. Like I, the reason I sent you that presentation is because it's literally written for the perspective of, I don't even know what a privacy coin is. You know, like I was giving a talk at, at an open source conference, you know, I was literally the only privacy coin talk. So yeah, it, it, it gives people a from the beginning kind of thing. All right. Well, that wraps things up. And uh, I want to say uh hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, again, since it's a holiday edition, I am not going to go long with the wrap-up here. I did want to put a um, a song of the day in it for you, though. Uh, before we get to that, just remember, I don't have an item of the day for you today, but you can always help support us every time you shop online just by shopping at tspaz.com. If you go to tspaz.com before you buy anything online, you'll help us out no matter what you eventually buy. And by becoming a member support brigade member, you can help support this show and the work that we do. And it is really a no-lose proposition. If you listen to this show, if you like the content that we cover, I guarantee you in all the discounts that I've arranged for members, there's enough discounts in there of things you'd probably buy anyway on an annual basis. You should get all your money back and then some. Most people tell me, when they tell me about you know using the discounts, they make two to three times their money. Two to three times their money. People right now get excited about making 5% on their money, right? But if you're getting two to three X on your money, that's a damn good investment. Now, you know, it's only 50 bucks, but it's still two to, you know, if that's, if you're making two to three X on that, that's a hundred bucks you didn't have. Plus all the stuff you needed anyway. I mean, it's really a no lose proposition, so do consider becoming an MSB member today. The song I've chosen for you today, I've played before, 
It is one of the most somber anthems in relation to war that there is. It's by a group that many love and many hate, and I'm not really a fan of most of their music, but I love their version of this song. It's called Green Fields of France. And I think that it's one of the most true, true looks at the world of war that you can get in the world of music today. Again, I just suggest that we all take a moment, we all pause, we all think about the sacrifices and the loss of life today, but also that we be joyful on a day like this, and we honor the memory of those who did fall in the name of service. Oh, how do you do, young Willie McBride? Do you mind if I sit here down by your graveside? And rest for a while in the warm summer sun I've been walking all day and I'm nearly done And I see by a gravestone you were only 19 When you joined the great fallen in 1916 Well I hope you died quick and I hope you died clean Oh, Willie McBride, was it slow and obscene? Did they beat the drum slowly? Did they play the fife lowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes play the flowers of the forest? Did you leave a wife for a sweetheart behind? In some loyal heart is your memory enshrined. And though you died back in 1916, to that loyal heart you're forever 19. Or are you a stranger without even a name? Forever enshrined behind some old glass pane. In an old photograph torn, tattered and stained And faded to yellow in a brown leather frame Did they beat the drum slowly? Did they play the pipe lowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes May the flowers of the forest The sun shining down on these green fields of France The warm wind blows gently and the red poppies dance The trenches have vanished long under the plow No gas, no barbed wire, no guns firing now But here in this graveyard that's still no man's land The countless white crosses in mute witness stand To man's blind indifference to his fellow man And a whole generation were butchered and damned Did they beat the drum slowly? Did they play the pipe lowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes play the flowers of the forest? 
I can't help but wonder, no Willie McBride. To all those who lie here and know why they died. Did you really believe them when they told you the cause? Did you really believe that this war would end wars? Well, the suffering, the sorrow, the glory, the shame, the killing and dying, it was all done in vain. Oh, Willie McBride, it all happened again and again and again and again. Drum slowly, did they play the fight lowly? Did they sound the death march as they lowered you down? Did the band play the last post and chorus? Did the pipes play the flowers of the forest? 